Um, all right, so I can't believe it's already Wednesday. Uh, it's really exciting to be at reInvent, and I've been here for the last four years, and it's just uh, really crazy to see how it's growing all the time. My name is Ingo Fuchs. I work at NetApp. I'm the chief technologist for cloud and DevOps. So my job really is to help us understand our customers better and hopefully uh, explain to you what NetApp does, new NetApp is. Quick question, who's familiar with NetApp? Who has heard of our name before? Just a few of you. Excellent, great. Um, so one thing that's really funny is uh, very often when we have conversations about cloud and about DevOps with our customers or in our prospects is that you're asking, oh, you're those guys that sell those storage things that are in my data center, right? And so the world has definitely changed just over the last five to six years. NetApp has really evolved from a company that builds software that goes on storage devices to a true software company and a cloud company, and uh, now really an IoT company. And I'll talk about this in just a moment. So what I'm going to do in this session is I want to walk you through uh, some examples of customers that have successfully transformed themselves, have done digital transformation by using cloud and DevOps technologies that we provided. I want to give you some examples of what companies have done to uh, really take advantage of technology, take advantage of the cloud, to change the way that they're interacting with customers and finding new customers. And so one example is this customer here. It's a global automation services company. What they recognized was that their existing on-premises data center infrastructure just wasn't up to the task of being flexible enough to address new customer needs, to get into new environments, finding new market segments. In fact, NetApp has gone through that transition ourselves. You know, we recognized that we needed to transform how we do business and how we can address new customer segments. A very similar scenario. I'm sure most of your organizations are probably in a similar situation that you want to address new markets and you want that flexibility that only cloud can provide. But when you're going through this, and we see this in many organizations, is that you know, at some point, somebody that's running the business decides, here's a mandate, we want to go into cloud. So when you're doing this, so maybe a quick question, how many of you have a cloud mandate in your organization? This is a physical exercise because I know you're just coming from lunch. It's about half of you. Right, so I, had a, I was presenting about four years ago at a CXO summit, so CTOs and CIOs, and I asked that same question, how many of you have a cloud mandate that you didn't make? So somebody else, the board of directors, the C-level staff, made the decision that we're going to go into cloud, and almost all hands went up. 90% of the people said, yeah, I have somebody telling me that I have to execute a cloud mandate. So that's a CIO or a CTO that has somebody else telling him, no, you got to do cloud. It's very <laughs> interesting. So, but when you're doing that, of course, you don't get more budget, right? And so how do you do this? How do you grow your business um, and transform yourself from your existing on-premises data center infrastructure to embracing the cloud. So in this particular um, example, what they were faced with that they had legacy applications that they couldn't rewrite, applications that they didn't own. So they needed to move their existing applications. Those applications required NFS v3, it's a file services protocol. And so they needed to find a cloud solution that supported that, and they needed a solution that supports GDPR, which is always fun to be compliant. So their infrastructure today, and this is a simplified view, is uh, the core applications that their entire business is running on uh, was SQL Server databases. 
running against the centralized storage infrastructure. Now, in reality, of course, it's not just a single rack with a bunch of arrays. You know, there's some failover, there's HA, there's active-active clustering going on. But I think this is sufficient to show the principle. And they were using the NFS version 3 protocol to access those systems. And they knew that today in their data center infrastructure that they have on premises, everything worked. It was fast, it was reliable, it supported the applications and the protocols. But they really struggled to figure out how to do this in AWS. So this is very typical, right? So it's not just SQL Server databases. That can be your AI, that can be your ML workloads. Uh, so at NetApp, you know, I mentioned before that we are an IoT company today. And what I mean by that is that we have over 250,000 systems out there that are telling us what's going on with these systems. So we can use that information to tell our customers, hey, you know, there might be a problem coming up. Or you might be running out of space in four months. You might want to think about an upgrade. But we can also tell our customers, you know, there are workloads that are a good fit to move to the cloud and things like that. And, and we use cloud for that. So we use uh, on-premise infrastructure to run some workloads and we use cloud for others. So this is a very typical uh, scenario. Now, when we had the conversation with the customer, we said, you know what, we can actually solve that problem. And I'm gonna kind of go start at the bottom with the storage services and work up the layers here. So we can actually help you move those legacy applications from on-premises to the cloud. You don't need to rewrite it. So your SQL Server, we can move that to the cloud to AWS today. We support NFS v3, we support SMB, so whether you're using Linux-based applications or Unix or Windows, we support them all. So we, we can really help the customer to move applications today rather than waiting for a cloud-based application or, having, or forcing them to change the applications that they're using. So just a few more details on that particular service, Cloud Volume Service, and I'm gonna show you a demo uh, in a few minutes for this as well. What you're getting is a lot of what you're expecting on-premises now delivered in the cloud. So you get the high durability, you get high availability, you get a lot of capacity, but you can roll that out in seconds because you're not managing it anymore. We are managing it for you, you consume it in the cloud, you consume it through AWS, and you don't have to worry about software updates or configuration changes or security fixes or anything like that. It's all managed for you. We support multiple different service levels, which is really important. If you think about moving a database application or AI or ML workload into the cloud, you want to be able to change the performance levels to meet the needs of your business. With the cloud volume service, which you provide, you can change it in seconds. Doesn't matter how much data you have stored. You can have terabytes of data in there, it takes seconds to change it. Because no data is moving, we're just adjusting the service level. So for example, let's say you, you're moving your workload into the cloud, most of the month, a standard service level is fine, but at the end of the month, Black Friday when you're in retail business or other opportunities, if you're photo sharing website, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, you want to be able to crank up your performance to an extreme level, but only for the amount of time that you need it. And you can do that with us. That can also save you a lot of money because just because once a month you need extreme service level, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to pay for extreme service level for the entire time. We're the only storage service in the cloud that can do that. Nobody else can do that. I would encourage you to check into that as you're evaluating storage options in AWS Cloud. The other thing that we do is something that you use on-premises in your data centers all the time, where your storage people do, is snapshots and clones. The snapshot is essentially a point-in-time picture of what your data looks like at that particular moment in time. So if something happens, you can go back to that. 
right? So something bad happens, somebody hacks in your environment, somebody starts corrupting files or encrypting files, you just go back to before that happened. Very important, and we can do that at no cost. As long as you're not changing data, as long as you're not adding data, there's nothing changed. You just took a picture of it. You just took a point in time snapshot of your data. Very, very important. Now, when you, when you take those snapshots, you can use them in a lot of different ways. Very popular is dev test. So for those of you in the database business, you're very familiar with this. You take a snapshot of your data, you create a clone of your data, and on that clone, you operate your dev test on it. Well, we can do that in seconds. So we can create multiple clones, as many as you want. You can even automate it with APIs, and you can do dev test on all of those clones, all of those copies. And all of that is transparent, all of that is API controlled, all that can be done with the UI if you want to. And by the way, backup. Backup is very important because your data is really important. If you lose your data, it's gone. It's something that a lot of cloud native applications don't have. They don't support backups natively. We do. But the other aspect is performance. So every time uh, when I talk to a database person, an applications person, the first question that comes up, well, even if it's compatible, even if I can move it, is cloud going to be fast enough? The application can only run as fast as the underlying storage system supports it or the storage service supports it in the cloud. And so this is the SQL Server infrastructure for this customer, and we did a number of benchmarks. So we looked at um, what you see there is uh, the blue bars are a single instance of the application of the SQL Server, and uh, gray is multiple instances. So if you have an application that you can scale out and you can run multiple instances of that application, you can point it at a single cloud volume. You can actually increase the performance. The reason why you want to do that is because you have limitations in each compute instance in how much throughput you can get through that instance. So in a lot of cases, you know, the storage service may not be the limiting factor. It may be the throughput that you can get for each compute instance. So this way you can balance now. You can balance your storage and your compute instance throughput. And as you can see, uh, if you look at the 1K block size, we achieved over 200,000 IOPS, which is quite respectable. So if you look at your on-premise infrastructure, you can see you know, what are your IOPS requirements, and this is much higher than you would normally be able to expect to get out of your compute instances. So this is now the new architecture. So now you have your different application instances, and they're using the NFS protocol because you know, that's what the application uses against a single volume. Now, why is this different? If you think about cloud applications traditionally, they're built in silos. You have the application, you have your compute, you have your storage. But each application has its own storage. Each application uses its own EBS space. So if you have a workflow that involves multiple applications, you have to have one application use the data, then you've got to get the data to the next silo, into the next silo, into the next silo, and so on. That's error prone, takes a lot of time, it's complicated, and it's very expensive, because you end up with five or 10 or however many copies of your data. It's not very efficient. So by having a single cloud volume hold all the data for all your applications, and they can all read and write at the same time, again, you're reducing cost and you're accelerating your workflows. It's not only about the speed and IOPS and all of that, but it's also about how many copies do you have to make of your data. If you don't have to make copies, if you have everything in one spot, it saves you a lot of time and a lot of money. So that's what this customer has seen. 
And uh, so here's the equivalent for a typical data center. Again, now think about this, by supporting multiple protocols, you can move all of your applications and get those same benefits from all. So you might have an application that uses NFS to do some work, and the next application in your workflow might be using SMB, it might be a Windows-based application. They can all use the same data storage in the cloud. And you get the snapshots, the cloning, the backup, and all the other features. So now this customer has been able to move on and to move to the cloud and address the needs of their business and to fulfill their cloud mandate. So um, to give another example, I want to bring up Spencer Colson uh, from one of our partners that can talk a little bit about how one of their customers has gone through the same journey, has gotten the same benefits out of their environment. Spencer. Well, thanks. Appreciate that opportunity to share some of the lessons that we've learned. Um, Smartronics, we are a mesh migration and um, managed services competency team where we help our customers to be able to really get the value out of the cloud that is available from these services that need to be stitched together the right way in order to be able to return that business value that you expect um, when you make your journey into AWS. Um, one story where we had an opportunity to help our customers was with this company called Procore. Procore is the leading SaaS provider of construction management software. So if you think about that use case, construction management, you think about the data points people have to manage and track, but you also think about a lot of files. So um, the application files, the, the risk files, the, the documents that track where they are, the uh, images, the site, um, there's a lot of files that go into construction management. And these users are expecting to be able to immediately have access to these files as soon as they upload them and load them into the system. They don't want to have to wait for them to be processed or loaded into different systems. So as we were helping them work through the process of loading one of their innovative new platforms onto AWS, um, we came across that use case where we needed that immediate upon write read capabilities um, out of a high-performant file storage system. Uh, we thought about using some different platforms and, and looked at a couple of different services, both native and software services that could be used on top of AWS. And we found that through the marketplace, we could leverage the NetApp Cloud Volume Service to be able to quickly within, I think it was a couple of days we got it up and serviced, um, go from development into POC, into testing, and then all the way into production within a month. So they were able to keep their project on schedule and be able to meet all their performance needs with that cloud volume service. Um, had we not had the NetApp cloud volume service, we feel like we would have been much further behind on that project and maintained a lot more risk. So we were, we were super excited to see that NetApp had leaned forward to pre-positioning those resources so that we didn't have to wait for servers to be racked, storage to be stacked, it was there available for us right as we needed it, and that greatly simplified that project. We were super excited to support with NetApp and uh, great teamwork. Great, awesome. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point that you have uh, there is that typically when you have to provision hundreds of terabytes of, of uh, capacity on premises, you know, you have to put out an RFP, you know, you get yep. some, some quotes back, you know, you, you may make a purchase order, you gotta find some room. Uh, somewhere in a rack, you gotta have power and cooling, and yep. so six months later, you tell your application developer, okay, I'm ready to innovate now. You know what, that's six months too late, and I think that's a great benefit of the cloud, that you can say, no, we can innovate today, we can do it right now. And what if you made a wrong choice? Yes, exactly. Uh, making the change to that purchasing process just would be impossible. Okay. So here within this situation, we tested out a different performance, we found what we needed, and we were able to turn it on and awesome. go production. Great, thank you Appreciate very much. It. Appreciate it. All right, so uh, we're, we're about ready to run into demos. Uh, so I have like three different services that I want to show you and, and show you exactly how customers are getting the benefits in these environments. 
Um, but I did want to mention Oracle as well, because we get a ton of questions about uh, Oracle in AWS. Uh, is anybody in here using Oracle? Yeah, got, got a few of you. All right, excellent. And so we have done a lot of benchmarking for customers, because the question comes up over and over again. These are customers that are not able to move into native cloud database services today. And we have been able to achieve you know, performance almost up to 300,000 IOPS out of Oracle. Now, the thing is, these Oracle databases, traditionally, you can't scale them out. Um, but what you can do is you can scale out the storage underneath it. So we were able to really break the boundaries of what traditional Oracle databases in AWS can do. So if you have Oracle databases and you acquire enhanced performance, that's something that we can solve with the Cloud Volume service today. All right, so let's, uh, let's switch to a quick demo. All right, so, um, so right here I'm on uh, NetApp Cloud Central. This is where you get all of our cloud services. We have over a dozen services that you can use. You can go to cloud.netapp.com. You can do a free trial today. It's really simple to do. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you this Cloud Volume service. Because remember, you know, I said it's really easy. It's really fast to set this up and configure it. If you want to have 100 terabytes in the cloud, it's really easy to do. Um, now, you can do all of this with APIs, uh, but it's kind of boring to watch APIs execute. Well, Matt, you might disagree. I think it's boring. And so I'm going to show you the user interface. You can kind of follow the process a little bit. Uh, so we're going to create a, a brand new cloud volume on AWS. And, uh, and so what we can see, we can see there's a number of volumes already created that I've used and my colleagues have used in the past. We're going to create a brand new volume. And so this is really meant to be used um, by you if you're, if you're familiar with storage or you're not familiar with storage, really easy. But again, all of this can be automated with APIs. And so um, let's just give it a name here. And uh, we can pick our AWS region. We can pick a time zone, which is really for scheduling, things like snapshots and backups and things like that, so you know which time zone it is. There's a volume path requirement, which is just uh, really defining uh, the path, how you get to your data. We'll auto-generate those for you, so if you don't like them, we can, we can generate other ones. Uh, I like the suspicious, peaceful bell, whatever that means. Um, you can also type in names, but this is really for environments we're thinking about. Let's say you have a, a container environment. You might have hundreds of containers that you're creating, hundreds of volumes for your container environment. You don't want to have to manually come up with a way to name them all in different ways. So that's why we auto-generate that. You can do things like create from snapshot, this is the cloning feature I talked about earlier. So you can just go back to a snapshot that you created earlier and use that to create that new volume. So all the data will now show up in this new volume that you're creating. You don't have to copy anything. It will just magically show up. You can select your service level. Remember, I told you you can change it on the fly at any time. You can select your capacity. We're going to create a 100 terabyte volume. We can do, uh, do some tags here. I'm going to use demo so I know that I can delete it when I'm done with it later. And then you have uh, export policies. Now, I decided to create an NFS volume. I could have created an SB volume or a dual protocol volume as well. But I know you guys don't like Windows, so I'm not going to do that. And then I just say uh, create volume. And so you see the volume here is being created right now. And uh, it's going to show uh, up in just a few seconds. Now, what's happening in the background is not only that the volume is being created, but all the networking paths are set up, all the IAM policies are being set up, all the, all the access rules, and everything else. So there's a lot that's happening in the background. And uh, so for some reason, it seems like AWS is maybe a little bit busy right now this week. I'm not sure where that's coming from. But here we go. It's done. 
So we can now go into this volume if you want to make some changes or look at some details. So you can see here, you can change the name, you can change the tags, you can change the size. So let's say, oh, it's 100 terabytes. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I don't want to actually pay 400 terabytes. I just want to do 10 terabytes. So you can make it smaller. Or you can make it bigger. You can do that on the fly at any time. You can automate that with APIs. So again, all about you know, saving costs, saving money, and being most efficient. 10 terabytes, already done. I said uh, we can change the service level, so let's change it to extreme. And it's, it's already done, it's just the UI takes a little bit longer, but it's already, been, already happened in the background. So this is how quickly you can adjust to your changing environments. Now service level extreme. So if I go back and look at my volumes, uh, we even go as far as uh, showing you exactly how you actually use that instance from your, from your compute. So how do you connect from your compute instance to your data store? We give you the exact instructions, even how to install the NFS client in your compute instance if you don't already have it. So we really try to make this very, very simple, very easy. And so now if, if I want to take a snapshot, it's as easy as this. I can give it a name. I'm just going to take a snapshot right now. Again, it's already happened in the background. It just takes a little bit longer for the UI to update. Now the snapshot is there. And I can take those snapshots, and I can create a new volume out of it. So here are my snapshots. So, uh, and then the last feature, the last thing that you can do is you can sync. Now, if you want to automatically transfer your data from on-premises into the cloud or from the cloud back to on-premises, because that's obviously a question that a lot of you will probably be faced with as well. What if I want to go back to on-premises? You can do that with Cloud Sync as well. This is all built in into the same tool, into the same UI, into the same API interface, all accessible from the same place. And that was it. That's a demo. That's how easy it is. I always say this is one of the most boring demos because there really isn't much to it. It's really simple, really easy, and straightforward. So what you get with that solution is that we really help you, together with AWS, uh, to move applications to the cloud that you weren't able to move before, that you can't rewrite, that you can't change, can't refactor. You can scale to 100 terabytes in seconds. You can consolidate all of your repositories in single space. You can create those snapshots and the clones and the backups and everything else. And by the way, we encrypt your data at rest as well. So how does this fit into our overall cloud strategy? How do we solve different problems that you have? So I talked about cloud storage, I just demo to you. You have NFS, you have SMB, you got Hadoop distributed file system for your analytics applications. You have object support coming up very soon. And we support SaaS for your Office 365 and Salesforce and other SaaS services. On top of that, you have snapshots and clones and everything else. On top of that, we do orchestration and application lifecycle management with NetApp Kubernetes service. I'm going to show you that demo in just a moment as well. And then on top of that, we have management and monitoring to help you make sure that your environment across your entire hybrid multi-cloud works correctly. So across your on-premises and all of the public clouds that you've chosen to adopt. And so uh, I'm going to show you a demo of that as well. So a quick question, who is using containers in their environment? Okay, a third of you. Everybody else is asleep. <laughs> All right, so in your container environment, uh, there are a couple of really interesting things to, to note. One is Kubernetes. Um, we are a very, very heavy adopter of Kubernetes, and I'm very glad to see that the industry has chosen the same path, and Kubernetes is the clear winner when it comes to identifying you know, the operating system of the cloud, really. And so we support Kubernetes very heavily in everything that we do. 
Uh, we work very closely with Istio. So if you're thinking about uh, taking your container environment and creating a mesh infrastructure for your containers, Istio mesh is the choice there. And then we have an open source project called Trident that we started quite a few years back, which really takes care of you know, how do you provision, how do you orchestrate the integration of where your data is being stored with your containerized applications. So it's, it's really interesting to think about this, right? When, first, when containers first came out, when Docker became popular, it was really designed around stateless applications. So applications that uh, don't really retain any data from one instance to the next, from one life to the next life. So data was being processed, but it wasn't really stored in a containerized world. Now today, we see a lot of applications that are stateful. And so stateful applications need to retain their data, need to store their data. And therefore, projects like Trident to make sure that wherever the data is being stored is completely transparent to your containerized environment. So within your application, within your container, you can very quickly just create those storage resources, store your data, access your data, claim your persistent volumes. And all of that is completely transparent across the entirety of our portfolio, whether you're on-premises or in the cloud, or any cloud. The other thing is that you can define service levels. So what service levels do you want for your application? And we will automatically provision and configure the correct storage for that application and for that service level. But we went beyond that. So we recognize that having to manage dozens of applications in a containerized environment across all the major clouds, across all the regions in the world, is really hard. You need a lot of people to kind of keep control of everything, look at the resources, how they're being utilized, roll out tools. And so we created a new service called NetApp Kubernetes Service. And so NetApp Kubernetes Service orchestrates your multi-cloud containerized environment across both public cloud and on-premises. You get a single pane of glass for all of your container deployments across the entire globe. And this is really important. So when, when we look at uh, some of our containerized applications that we roll out for our customers, we went from a two to three day deployment time to a 23 minute deployment time. And that's a dramatic difference in providing applications and innovation into your environment. And that's going to be uh, the next demo. Yes. Yeah, so you're, you're consuming it uh, natively uh, from AWS, and so you're fully integrated in AWS. You have all the VPC and everything. You're using the applications that are running in AWS compute. Uh, so it's, it's, it is a service that we're providing through the marketplace, uh, through AWS, uh, for AWS customers. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're a marketplace service, so you would uh, purchase us through the marketplace. And so uh, let me show you the, the second demo here. This is uh, the NetApp Kubernetes service. And, and so what you can see here is, you know, I have three different uh, clusters running. Uh, one is, is running on AWS with the Ubuntu. I have an Amazon EKS. And I have uh, the other guys um, in here as well. And so if you're thinking about um, creating a new Kubernetes cluster, maybe somebody in your team that's not very familiar with Kubernetes and would struggle a little bit with the standard tools, you can just say, well, I want to add a new cluster. And you get to choose which cloud you want to use. 
And uh, so in this case, we're going to choose AWS. And uh, we, we can change our settings a little bit if you want to use different workspaces. There are some certain standard configurations that we use. Uh, if you're okay with the defaults, you know, you can give it a name. I'm going to keep the auto-generated one. How about free limit? That's pretty good. You can, uh, you can choose your orchestration. You can choose the distribution you're going to use in your containerized environment. You can also add solutions. So add solutions are verified services and products that you can add to your environment. So if you want to have a security service or other services added into this environment or a database tool or an analytics tool, you can add it right in here. You don't have to go into, into anything else. And then you hit Submit. And so now that's going to take a little bit, right? Because there's distributions that need to be un unpacked and deployed and created. But you can see here that our new cluster free limit is currently being created. It gives you all the key information there. Now this is just going to run automatically. It's going to take a few minutes. And then you're going to get an email that tells you, hey, it's done. And it also gives you your cube config files. So you can use that and throw it into your uh, administration tool of choice. Or you can forward that into your management environment. So if I look at you know, one of the clusters that we created previously. I got all the information in here. I can add master nodes and worker nodes and everything else that I need to do. I can do this here. I can also go to the Kubernetes dashboard if I want to dig a little bit deeper into the functionality there. So really just a lot of functionality in a very, very simple to use uh, tool in a very simple to use environment. The other thing I want to point out is that we also support federation. And we also support Istio Mesh right in here. So you simply go in into the federation, you pick your clusters, you hit go, and it creates the entire environment. All right. And then finally, I want to talk about the top layer. Remember when I had those, the stack and the different layers? The top layer is monitoring analytics. Now, for us, it's really important to to really look across the entire hybrid multi-cloud environment that you might have in your, in your IT infrastructure. So you're looking at all the major clouds. You're looking at on-premises. You're looking at NetApp gear, but you're also looking at network switches and servers and applications and VMware. And in the cloud, you're looking at your compute and your network and everything else. So there's a lot of information and a lot to look at. And so we created a tool called NetApp Cloud Insights, a service that you consume and uh, what it does is we look at the entirety of your infrastructure across cloud and on-premises and gives you information into your hand to not only know what's happening in this environment, but also to be able to reduce the time that it takes to solve problems. So let's say you're getting random CPU spikes in certain uh, compute instances. You can click on that and you can see what application is causing that and, and how it correlates with other things that are happening in your environment, who the user is that owns that application. You can also use this to reduce the cost of your cloud environment because we can show you, you know, for example, compute instances with eight CPUs or more that are underutilized, that have zero or very low IOPS. So you know nobody's really using it. It just costs money. So we can give you that list and you can shut those down. And ultimately the goal is to make sure that you can catch any issues, that you can catch any problems before it's actually impacting any end users in your environment. And that's going to be uh, my final demo. And of course, I got locked out because, you know, security is important. 
All right. So this is, and this is how you know it's really a live demo, not a video, right? So this is uh, Cloud Insights. You can create that first dashboard any way you want. And if you're sitting further back than the first row, you can probably not read anything. Apologize for that. So, but this is uh, the interface that you see with all the different instances that you have. And I can look at different dashboards and create new dashboards. I can look at different queries. And uh, I just want to show you a couple of examples. So one of the uh, examples here would be uh, there are opportunities to right size. There's one that I actually like. And let's switch to, uh, let's do the last seven days. So you can see the trends in your environment. You can look at, you know, is your environment, is the utilization going up? Are there spikes? You know, things like that. Um, let me show you another one. So this is a favorite of a lot of our customers. Where can I potentially reclaim waste? So this is really looking at uh, what compute instances do I have and where do I have environment that are uh, suitable for me to say, you know what, let's just kill those. Let's delete them, let's kill them, let's just get rid of these resources because they're just costing me money and not doing anything. And this in particular you see on the, on the left side, those are virtual machines that are currently costing me money, but they're powered off on-premises. And on the right side, you're seeing powered off virtual machines in the cloud. So again, back to that point that I made earlier, is you can actually see your resource utilization across both your on-premises environment and your cloud. We can also look at queries. Uh, so this is a good example here. Uh, this is a query where I'm saying, okay, for all of my resources in Amazon, I want to look at all the machines that have uh, eight CPUs or more and where the CPU utilization is 5% or less. So what I get back is a list of all of those machines, the CPUs being used, the capacity, the storage capacity being used, the uh, number of IOPS that are running on it, et cetera. So I can create additional filters to really narrow it down if I want to. But this is the information that I need to say, okay, all of the users that own these machines, I'm going to send them an email. We call it a nag mail. <laughs> so we were nagging these users saying, hey, shut down those machines, delete those machines. It's, it's storage, it's CPU, it's costing people money. Somebody has to pay for that. And uh, so we have at NetApp, we're a very, very large user of AWS. By the way, this is live data. This is NetApp's uh, environment in AWS that we're looking at right here. Um, so we have been able to save a ton of money um, by using this. Uh, this kind of functionality within Cloud Insights. All right. So our experience has been really uh, fantastic over the last few years, working with customers, working through all these different workloads that are out there, whether that's file services, moving applications to the cloud, running data analytics, running data lakes. Uh, DevOps and AppDev is, is a fantastic space as well. So the ability to take a snapshot of your DevOps environment and create new developer workspaces in seconds. You, want, you need 100 clones of a developer workspace, you can do that automatically through APIs right through our interface. Moving production workloads today as opposed to moving it in six months or 12 months. Disaster recovery is a really big topic. So we have a lot of customers that have said, you know, I don't want to operate two data centers and one is just sitting there not doing anything other than if there is a disaster. So running an environment where you have a data center on premises and you use your disaster recovery site as a virtual site in the cloud 
It's a very, very common use case, and we have hundreds of customers doing that with our technology today. Backup and archive, you know, that's kind of an easy topic almost. It's almost boring for somebody like me because uh, it's, it's a pretty well-understood environment, and cloud actually is a very good and suitable uh, location for your, for your backup and archive workloads. And then finally, SaaS applications. Anybody in here use Office 365 or Salesforce? One, two, Salesforce, all right. Uh, so, the, okay, so there are more people using Salesforce than Office 365, right? Um, have you ever looked at, uh, the, at your contract and how long it takes if you need to restore data? So let's say you have a salesperson. Salesperson says, hey, I'm going to quit. I'm going to delete all the customer records from my customers because they're my customers, and I'm going to move on to my next company. Have you ever looked at the service level agreements to get that data back and restored and how, how much it costs? I would encourage you to do so. Uh, it's, uh, I think the last time I checked, it was uh, over 10 days to get the data back, and it's quite expensive. So look at your contract. So we have a service, we call it SaaS Backup. Uh, our SaaS Backup service available for Office 365 and for Salesforce. What it does, it takes, backup, takes those backups of your data, and you can restore the data back at your convenience, at your leisure, and it goes very, very fast. Office 365, the same thing. Um, Microsoft is not responsible for safeguarding your data. Microsoft is responsible for keeping enough copies of your data, of the current version of your data, in case their infrastructure has a problem. But in case somebody goes in and deletes your CEO's email inbox, that's on you. That's on you to figure out. So SAS backup for Office 365 backups your Exchange data, backs up your um, SharePoint data, your OneDrive data. All that data is protected, and you have a very simple user interface and API to restore everything back in case something happens down to the granularity of individual emails, individual attachments, even the SharePoint template and things like that. So it's a really, really good uh, service I would encourage you to think about. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many people do not protect the Office 365 environment. Very, very few people have, have thought about that. All right, well, my goal was to let you out early because I'm sure this isn't the first presentation that you have seen in the last three days. Uh, I would encourage you, if you uh, come over to the Venetian, uh, we have a great booth right next to the AWS booth. Uh, we have some really nice uh, prices and giveaways and presentations going on in there and demos. You can see all the um, all of the presentations there. You can see all the demos there. You have the technical staff to, to answer any questions that you have. If you go to cloud.netup.com, we have free trials for all of our products. You can try them out. Some of them even have a freemium tier, like NetApp Kubernetes service. And then if you want to find out more about our partnership, go to net.com slash AWS. And with this, thank you very much. Appreciate it.